You people judge by outward appearance. I do not judge anyone. But if I judge, my evaluation is accurate because I am not alone when I judge. But I and the Father who sent me do so together. Uh, John chapter 7, verse 24. Stop judging by outward appearance and start judging justly. For the next few moments, I want to talk from this title, I Just Want to Rock. I Just Want to Rock. Yes, that was the name of the little Uzi Vert song that was playing. But the name of the message title is, I Just Want to Rock. Somebody say rock. Let's pray. Long prayer. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. You can grab a seat. We're going to jump right into this word. I need you again to look at your neighbor. You're like, Pastor, we haven't talked to my neighbor too much. I know, but we're trying to build family. We're trying to build community. So look at your neighbor and say, please don't judge me. Look at your other neighbor. Say, please stop judging me. Listen to this. We've got enough of that going on already, don't we? We got enough people judging us already. We got people judging us on social media. We got people judging us on YouTube or whatever else platform that we see ourselves in, in the classroom, on the school bus, the cars we drive, the relationships we're in. We see people judging us all the time. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I am my own worst critic. I'm sure some of you feel the same way, and I don't need anyone else's help being critical of myself. Come on, look at your neighbor one more time and say, other neighbor. Come on, say, other neighbor. Please stop judging me. Pastor Will, why are you talking about judging in this series called Saints and Ain'ts? Because in this new series, we're not just talking about the difference between the two. We're actually going to discuss what is a saint and what ain't a saint. And I know that's not grammatically correct, but it is theologically important that we draw this distinction because there is a difference between saints and ain'ts. In fact, I've said this quote before, but I want to share it again. Gandhi said this about Christians. He said, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. This is what Gandhi said, and he was not a Christian. And we need people to know that the Jesus we preach and the life that we live are connected. Somebody say connected. That as believers, we are not hypocritical, but we are in fact holy. That we are called to live lives that are are consecrated from the world. That we are set apart. That as a believer, we are saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Spirit. That we are saints. Somebody say saints. Pastor Will, but what is a saint? I'm glad you asked. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church, to those sanctified. In the Amplified Version, it describes and defines what sanctified means. It means set apart, made holy. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus who are selected and called as saints or God's people. For my note takers, saints are known as God's holy people. If you're a believer of Jesus in this room, you are known as God's holy people. According to the scriptures, saints are God's people. They're holy ones. And anyone who is, a set, anyone who is set apart for God's special purpose, according to 1 Peter chapter 2. You should go back and read it later on, but you are saints, and one of the primary goals is clear. We do not want you to know how to do church. We want you to know how to do life. That is one of the primary goals of Youth First. We want to show you, empower you, and release you to do life in a biblical way, specifically how to live a Christian life because we are called to be saints. However, young people, young believers, young Christians— The church seems to be addicted and attracted to judgment. If we're going to be honest, some of you don't just like baseball because you like throwing baseballs. Some of you like throwing stones. 
There's another way that it may be a little bit older now that your generation likes to say it. You like to throw shade. We like to throw things. We are addicted to this word called judgment. And that's why I titled this, I Just Want to Rock. And what's unfortunate is that there are people in our city and in your schools who want to come to church, but they are afraid to come because they believe they will be judged. You've seen this on Sunday mornings. You've experienced this on Wednesday nights. In fact, I know you've experienced this because the moment you've walked in the classroom, you just had your first day of school. The moment you walked into school with your new school shoes, you know, everybody thought you was bougie, being judged. You walked in, and if you have uniforms, that's fine, but, you know, you come in, and people have this idea of you. It seems as if we always think that people are judging us. So let's level the playing field. I want you to write down my first point. It's an important point because when you go to school tomorrow, you need to keep this in mind. Every saint has a past, but every sinner has a future. Every saint has a past, but every sinner has a future. Let me say it this way. There is no saint without a past, and there is no sinner without a future. That is what we have to keep in mind for people. A saint is not only holy, called, selected, and set apart, but these words should be descriptive of every person that considers them a follower in this room a follower of Jesus. Unfortunately, some of you call yourselves saints, and you ain't, because you have this tendency to judge. And there are a number of other, there are a number, a number of other things that I want to address during this series, like for good puns. I don't want to go leaving no stone unturned, but for some of you, if we're going to be really, really honest, uh, there are other characteristics and sinful habits that you've adopted, as I said earlier, that aren't they aren't representative or they aren't clear characteristics of a Christian faith. You are either a saint or you ain't. And during this series, we're going to talk about living godly lives during ungodly times. Somebody say judgment. Jesus is clear on the topic of judgment, yet we are blatant, blatant in our use of it. We seem to not care. We justify our need and our desire to judge people. So the second thing I want you to write down is this. Discernment is not judgment discernment is not judgment. Pastor Will, I don't even know what that word means. That's okay. It's a definition on the screen, and I'm going to tell you what it is. But before we get there, I want you to know, we so often give ourselves unbiblical permission to be judgmental and hide behind spiritual language. We confuse a spiritual gift with spiritual abuse. We mislabel a gift from God, discernment, and call it judgment. Pastor Will, what do you mean? Some of you, if we're being honest, will operate in suspicion and call it discernment. Well, I just saw them, Pastor Will, and they look sneaky. They look like they're thieves. Matter of fact, they look like a liar. Like you look at people and you just suspect certain things in them, and then you have this idea of them. Here's another one. Some of us will make accusations about people and call it discernment. Walking around accusatory of certain people that you don't even know everything about them. And then to justify it, you say this, I can't help what I feel. I don't know if you notice this about your generation, but you seem to be living lives uh, persuaded and influenced by your emotions. And emotions aren't bad. They are real. They're just not always right. And when the truth is, you really just have trust issues and you're afraid of getting hurt. So let me tell you what discernment is. Again, it's on the screen. It's the God-given ability to decide between right and wrong. It's the process of making careful distinctions between truth and error. It's the ability to think biblically. That's what discernment is. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.21 says, test everything. Somebody say everything. Test everything that is said. We should test everything that someone says. 
not judge, but to test, to prove, to examine. Discernment is not judgment. And Jesus seems to take judging seriously. I mean, we just read his words in Matthew chapter 7. No matter what version or translation of the Bible you read, no matter what language you read it in, he is very clear about these three words. Do not judge. You can read it in Greek. You can read it in Hebrew. You can read it in Aramaic. You can read it in trap. It just means do not judge. I believe the scriptures are saying do not judge because there is going to become a day. There's going to be a day where you're going to need grace, and instead of getting grace, you're going to receive judgment. All of us have gotten to that point. There was a day in my life where I didn't need judgment. I needed grace, and that's what led me to Jesus. Matthew 7, 1 and 2, do not judge others, and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Somebody say standards. Somebody say standards. We're about to get to what standards are, but there's another question I want to ask you right before we jump into that. And the definition, I mean, the question is simple, and I want to give you a definition. It's what is judging? You should write this down. Judgment is grading someone's worth. The moment you judge someone, you are deciding in your head their value. You are measuring their worth. It means to incarcerate, to place under arrest, to force a conviction, to imprison, to penalize and punish someone based on your perspective, not theirs. Judgment. And I just want to say this. I just believe we had too many Christian police officers. Just way too many Christian police officers ready to arrest anybody. We're, we're ready to make a what you might call a citizen's arrest. And James 4.12 says this, there is only one lawgiver and judge. When we judge, we have neglected our roles as saints. When, when our job is not to judge, our job is to witness and testify to what we have seen and heard. It should be better known for us as youth first. It should be better known for us in our city. It should be better known of us as young believers that your first inclination is not to judge someone. Your first instinct is to witness to them, to testify to how good God is and how good God has been in your life, not judge theirs. So why do we judge? Here's, here's what I believe, just a few things. You can write these down. You don't necessarily have to, but why do we judge? I believe we like to judge. It's, it's easy to judge because when you judge someone, you feel empowered. You feel better than. You feel like you're in the upper echelon of life. You feel superior because the pleasure that comes from judgment is the idea that I'm better than you. I'm more whole than you. I'm further along than you. I've been saved longer than you. I know more than you. And in essence, the root of it is comparison. It's, it's simply comparison. But Pastor Will, what, why, why do we judge? We like to judge because we like to compare. I, I want to see, I want to compare my life to your life to make sure I'm further along than you are. Because if I'm further along than you are, that means I'm better than you are. And in, in this thing called faith, in this Christian faith idea that you need to understand, the Bible is very clear. It says you should run your race. Somebody say your race. You say your race. Here's why this is important. When you hear the word race, you think it's about competition. It's not about competition. It's about completion. It's your race. You're not running against anybody else. You're running your race. And your race is different than my race, but we love to compare. But the issue with judgment is you make conclusions. When you judge someone, you put a period on a story that you know nothing about. When you should have put a comma. 
When you judge people, you mentally, emotionally, and spiritually forbid them to grow in your eyes. You know this is true because some of you, like I said, this was your first day back in school and you met some people and the first thing you said was you had all summer to grow up and they still ain't grow up. You, some of you got, about, got around some of your old friends, you'd be like, you still the same way. And some of that may be true, but some of you are actually judging them. And you are deciding in your mind that they cannot grow, that they cannot mature. When you judge people, you predetermine their ability to mature and change. Pastor Will, why do we judge? Because it's easy. It's so easy to judge people. It's easier to believe your ideas, your thoughts, your opinions about someone as opposed to actually getting to know them. It's so much easier to have this preconceived notion about someone. It's sad that some Christians have an appetite for judgment and unhealthy addiction to it. And some of us are still dealing with judgments people, judgments people have made about us. Some of you are still hurting because someone put a gavel in your life and decided that that was the finality of your identity. They hit the gavel and they said, this is who you are. And you were still struggling with the judgment someone said about you six months ago, a year ago, two years ago. But the question that was asked earlier is, who am I to judge? Number three, please write this down. Don't judge someone without knowing their story. Don't judge someone without knowing their story. Pastor Will, wow, you're going real hard on judgment. Why are you talking about this? Because if we don't talk about it, you will continue to struggle with it. And here's the reason why I know <laughs> when, when I'm talking about judgment, if, if I feel like this is a topic I really need to cover, because when I'm talking about other people's issues, people do this in church. Christians are all the same, no matter what age group. When I'm talking about other people's issues, they're like, that's right, pastor. That's a good word. You better preach, pastor. But when I'm talking about you, you get real silent, which is confirmation that I need to stay right here. Somebody say judgment. He prohibits judging. He prohibits judging for a reason because it is a spiritual weapon of mass destruction. It is an instrument of the enemy. It kills. It kills joy. It kills peace. It kills purpose. It kills identity. It keeps people tethered to the pain of their past. It is a chain that enslaves people to their old self. And too many Christians are better at judgment than they are at extending grace. Isn't it interesting to, to think that Christians are greedy with grace? God saved me, but he can't save you. I don't think he wants to save you. In fact, I believe he shouldn't save you. We're greedy with grace. We're so easy to judge. And Jesus says, do not judge to his disciples. But why would Jesus have to tell his followers, the people walking with him, not to judge? Because it's easy and they were judging people and did not know it. I came to tell you tonight that I believe some of you are judging people and you do not even know it. And you're trying to justify the reason why you want to judge people. I wasn't trying to, Pastor Will. It wasn't my intention to judge them. And here's what we do. We judge the actions of everybody else, but we judge our intentions. Oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean anything by it. It wasn't, it wasn't like I was trying to make a verdict about their identity and who they were. It's just, it's what, I, it's what I perceived, and you try to justify it by your intentions. Jesus is saying, do not judge. Remember, we said something about standards earlier. Let me say this, though. Having standards isn't judgment. Having standards isn't judgment, young ladies. Having standards isn't judgment. In fact, you should write this down. I want to say it this way because it's important. My standards for me are not a judgment of you. 
My standards for me are not a judgment of you. Pastor Will, what do you mean? My standards have everything to do with me and what I think about me and what God has for me. And there are many people who have been hurt because Christians have confused maintaining standards with judgment. There's nothing wrong with having standards. We've confused taking a stand with judgment. Now, if you feel judged by my standards, then you need to take that up with God. I'm not judging you. Young men, I'm not judging you. You need to create and have and write down some standards and some values to live by. I'm not judging you. I'm setting a standard for me because I know who I am. I'm setting a standard because I know my worth. I'm setting a standard because I know what value I bring to other people's life. I know when my life is involved in your life, your life gets leveled up. I know my life, it, your life is better because my involvement in your life. What I'm saying to you is if they cannot reciprocate, then they need to vacate. Having standards is not judgment. But if judgment is when we grade or measure someone's value, this is what I want to ask you two questions. When did you become the standard for grace? When did you become the measuring block for someone, for God's loving kindness? Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Some of you accuse others of doing wrong, but there is no excuse for what you do. When you judge others, you condemn yourselves because you are guilty of doing the very same things. We know that God is right to judge everyone who behaves in this way. Do you really think God won't punish you when you behave exactly like the people you judge or accuse? You surely don't think much of God's wonderful good, goodness or his patience and willingness to put up with you. Don't you know that the reason God is good to you is because he wants you to repent. He wants you to turn to him. But you are stubborn and refuse to repent. You refuse to turn to God. So you are making things even worse for yourselves. But on that day when he will show how angry he is and he will judge the world with fairness. We read it earlier. There's only one lawgiver and there's only one judge. Somebody say judgment. Because the moment you think you have it all together, the moment that you think you have it all figured out, pride will enter your heart. This is why judgment needs to be talked about. And you will think you're perfect and you will compare your sin to someone else's sin. And that's an interesting idea to me, to compare your sin to someone else's sin. Because I want to tell you something. I'm going to tell you a deep theological truth. Sin is sin. And if you sin and they sin, guess what? Both of those things still separate you from God. But we justify by saying, well, I don't sin the way they do, but you still sin. And then you have this pride issue. And I want to tell you something. Wherever pride is, God is not. If you don't believe me, ask Satan. Pride got him kicked out of heaven, got him kicked out of eternity because God does not like judgmental environments. He does not like, he doesn't, I don't believe God really cares for a crowd of critics. And listen to me, generation, I'm not telling you not to have critical thinking. I'm telling you not to have a critical spirit. You don't have to judge. Some of us need to go apologize to people we've misjudged. Some of us need to repent because you've been participants in gossip, slander, pride, and comparison. You've been participants in judgment. But I don't know about you, but I thank God that I'm covered. I thank God that he didn't expose every dark, bad secret in my life because I promise you, if you knew everything there was to know about me, you wouldn't be here. If you knew everything there was to know about each and every leader that serves on this team, if you knew every detail, intricate detail about Pastor Mark and Pastor Michelle's life, I promise you, you would not be here. But you are here because I believe there is something in you that's saying, I want to grow. 
The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. So judgment is not having standards. Judgment is not identifying inconsistencies. Listen to this. Judgment is not saying about someone that there are consequences to their actions. Pastor Will, what do you mean by identifying inconsistencies? If you have to guess what version of a person, when they are around you, you don't know what version of them you're going to get every day, that's not judgment. That's awareness. That's awareness. That's you realizing, I can't hang with you because you're moody. And some of you, I know that, that like, you know, you got, might have a, a, a chemical thing, a chemical imbalance. That's okay. But for others, if you really don't know what version of them you're going to get, then you probably don't need to spend time with them. It's not, as I mentioned, it's not identifying consequences. If every time someone comes to your house, when they leave your house and things seem to leave with them, there's nothing wrong with communicating consequences and saying the next time you come to my house and something goes missing, there are going to be consequences. That's not judgment. That's boundaries. Somebody say standards. That's not judging. That's communicating consequences because if you steal from me, I can't give you complete access to me. If you lie to me, I can't give you complete access to all of me because you have a spiritual responsibility to be a good steward over yourself and to those you are accountable to. Please hear me. You cannot and should not become a prisoner to someone else's dysfunction because they refuse to deal with their issue. You do not need to be imprisoned by someone else's problem. And listen to this, I will not shrink myself to make someone else feel big because they feel small. You shouldn't do that. Somebody say judgment. Matter of fact, say it like this because I feel like you need to uh, speak some positive things over your life, some affirmation. Somebody say this, say it like you mean it, say, I got standards. Matter of fact, say, I got boundaries. Some of you, when you go into the school campus tomorrow, when that dude tries to slide into those DMs, ladies, you just need to have an automatic response. I got standards. Fellas, when that girl says something to you that she shouldn't say to you, you should be like, I got boundaries. Don't cross this line. You need to have a better idea of self. Let me give you another definition for judging as I speed through some of the rest of this. Judging is being overly critical and condemning. It's jumping to conclusions or reaching a verdict about a person's life based on a limited view of it. Based on a limited view of it. Matthew 7, verse 20. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their own actions. Please write this down. We are not judges of character, but we are tasters of fruit. We are not judges of character, but we are tasters of fruit. Pastor Will, I struggle with that that statement because I've heard people say, I got a pretty good judge of character. That's biblically not accurate because we're not supposed to judge. But you can taste fruit because judgment is not fruit assessment. Pastor Will, what do you mean? I'm not judging you if I see you producing apples and call you an apple tree. That's not judgment. I'm tasting what you're producing. Therefore, I'm not judging you if I hear you lying and call you a liar. That's what you're producing. I'm tasting what you're producing. We don't need to judge the tree, but we taste the fruit to determine how we interact with it. Some of you need to get around people and you need to continue to taste the fruit long enough to realize, not taste the rainbow, but taste the fruit to realize I can't hang out with you. You got problems. Because you lie to me, you lie to them, then you gossip, you slander. They do all these things, and I promise you, You hang around people long enough, you will pick up their bad characteristics. One piece of bad fruit will ruin the whole bunch. Biblically, you need some Bible for it. 
bad company corrupts good character. I don't care how good your character is. You got bad company, your character will fall. Somebody say judgment. Is this helping? Is this helping anybody? Is this helping you? Yes. All right. Not, not at all. About seven of you. Judging is cancerous. It's sinful. It leads to spiritual abuse. It sends a message to people that contradicts the message of the gospel. Some of you aren't preaching the gospel. You're preaching your gospel. Ow, Pastor Will, can you please get off my feet? No, because the message you're preaching is inconsistent with the Jesus I believe in. And you cannot tell me I'm so valuable, I'm so loved, that God would die for me and then treat me and talk about me and degrade me and grade me like I'm nothing. Who are you to judge? Jesus models for us how to engage with sinners. Number five, please write this down. Saints show compassion for people without condoning their sin. Honestly communicate to them without compromising truth and challenge people without condemning them. That's a word. Like, that's good right there. That statement right there will help you for life. It's so good. I'm going to say it again because it needs to get in your heart. Saints show compassion. Somebody say compassion. Say compassion for people without condoning their sin. Honestly communicate to them without compromising truth. We do not compromise truth ever. I'm not telling you to compromise truth. But I am asking you to challenge people without condemning them. Y'all know how I like to say it. I'm not calling you out. I'm calling you up. I'm, I'm calling you heavenward. I'm calling you to something different. But I want you to know that you can show compassion for people without condoning their sin. I do it every day. I do it with my family. And no, I, there's nobody I love in this world more than Lindsay and more than that baby that's in her stomach. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus, y'all. Your boy is happy. She asked me the other day, this is temporary segue moment, uh, and when the keys are behind you, everything sounds more spiritual, so it's really cool. Um, she said, I always put my hand on, on her stomach, and especially at night, I pray over the kid or whatever, but uh, one night in particular, she came up, she said, who do you love more? And I was like, easy. In my mind, I was like, you, duh. But <laughs> the only reason I'm telling you that is because there's nobody I love more than my wife, our, our future kid, and my family. And I, have, I don't have a problem showing compassion to those who, I those who I love without condemning them. That's what Jesus did for me. That's what you got to do for people. Pastor Will, what does that look like? That means you're going to pray with them. This Sunday, I'm, I'm, again, I'll just I'll open the door to my life. This Sunday, one of my family members came to church. The message wrecked him. He had a whole moment. I sat there with him way after service, way after everybody left, because I believe the reason I came back to Dothan wasn't just for youth first. It was because of my family. And I got a chance to spend another 30, 45 minutes with my cousin and talk to him about the goodness of God and taking next steps to better his life. I didn't judge him. I had compassion on him. Can you say the same? So you're going to pray with them. You're going to bring them to church. Not invite. You're going to bring them to church. 
that means some of you, you're going to have to go sit with the people that already think you're weird, that you're a Christian. You're going to grab them on Wednesdays or Sundays, and you're going to bring them back into the presence of God. That's what you got to do sometimes. You got to bring them. Here's what else you're going to do. You're going to hold them accountable, and accountability is uncomfortable. You're not going to talk about their life. You're going to get involved in their life. I can't believe they sin like that. What would be better to say is, I can't believe they sin like that after I got involved in their life. And because I'm involved in their life, I don't want them to continue to struggle that way. So guess what? I'm in your face, boo-boo. I mean, <laughs> I'm all around your business. I'm all up in your stuff. I'm in your house. I'm making sure that you're not doing nothing that you don't have any business doing. What would be said, young man, if you gave somebody access to your browser history? What would it be said, young lady, if you let some of your friends have your passwords to your social media accounts? And not the ones we see, the fake ones, the fenced ones. Like, what would happen? What would happen if you let somebody come in and set boundaries and create a lock code for your phone to block certain things that you didn't have access to? We're talking about real accountability. You want real change? You got to be real vulnerable. I didn't come here to judge you. I came here to drag you out. Two months. We ain't had service in two months. I didn't come here to judge you. I came here to help you be set free. I came here to let the devil know that he can't have you any longer. I came here to let you know that I'm not leaving without you, that I'm bringing as many people into heaven as I can before I leave this earth. I want you to know that you're God's property, that you're God's territory, and the devil has to take his hands off your life because he's had his hand on you long enough. I'm not giving up on you, and you cannot give up on yourself. Somebody say, I just want to rock. <laughs> There's one other point I want to share before we wrap this thing up and pray. But you may be asking, Pastor Will, why'd you share that story of the woman with the, uh, the woman that was caught in the act of adultery? Why, why'd you bring that up? I think it's an important story because in those verses I read, in those 16 verses, what we often do after we realize that all those that were going to throw the stones walked away, starting with the oldest, we stop reading right there that we don't read the other verses. And the rest of the verses go on to talk about judging, judging by outward appearance and all these things that we have a tendency to do. But here's the reason why I like this story, and I brought it up. And I'm going I'm to say the point first, and uh, they can go ahead and put it up on the screen. It's this. Religious people are known to throw stones, but God uses them to build his church. Pastor Will, I need some Bible for that. I'm going to get there in a moment, but religious people are known to throw stones but God uses them to build his church remember there is only one lawgiver and there is only one judge one lawgiver one judge this woman's caught in the act of adultery picture yourself you're caught doing something you don't have any business doing they grab you in the middle of the moment you're already embarrassed because they grabbed you. They drag you in the middle of your sin into the place that should help you be set free, into the temple. Jesus is, y'all, that would be equivalent to somebody right now busting through those doors, boom, putting them right there in the middle of us having this moment. Jesus sees this in the most powerful words in the gospel was this. Jesus turns around as if to say I don't care about that 
So when he turns around, when he turns his back, the people, he ignores them. And it says he's writing in the ground. Now, we don't know what he's writing. I wish I knew what he was writing. Now, some people say this, that he was writing their sins. I, I wish that was true. Even if we went a little bit deeper in the story and we said things like, um, uh, where was the man? Because it says she was caught in the act of adultery. Where was the dude? It takes two to tango. Talk to your parents about that later. So uh, <laughs> he turns his back. He's writing in the ground. They're pressing him. And then he says, he turns around and he says these words. Again, one of the most powerful phrases. He who has not sinned, he who is without sin, throw the first rock. Throw the first stone. Then he turns around and starts writing on the ground. Pastor Will, why is that important? Because he was the only one that could throw the stone. He could have literally picked up, I just want a rock, and bust her upside the head. Like, literally took homegirl out. Could you imagine reading that in your Bible? And Jesus picked up a boulder because he was super strong and crushed the sinner. Like, that would be nuts. I mean, that's just wild, but it doesn't say that. It says he turns around. Then, imagine the sound. It says storm. That means they came there with their rocks or they were in the room. Because there ain't no, I, I just personally, I don't believe they came into church. There ain't no rocks in our church. I don't think people are like, oh, there's one. Like, they just picked it up. They brought their rocks in there. They probably brought extras. They were like, and imagine, it's probably like a little 15-year-old boy that throws like 80 miles an hour. He's like, I'm about to take her out. So they're all in there. They got their stones and they're passing rocks or whatever. He who was without sin, throw the first stone. And it says, starting with the oldest Pastor Will, why the oldest? Because he probably sinned the most. Drops the rock. Imagine the sound. You just hear rocks dropping. They just start falling. And then after the rocks fall, Jesus has his back to her. She's still there in her situation. We're not going to describe it. <laughs> after everyone leaves, he turns around. He says, where are your accusers? Some translations say, where are those that condemn you? She says, there are none, Lord. He says, neither do I condemn, neither do I judge you, but go sin no more. Why did Jesus say go sin no more? I believe it was for this reason. He was saying, he was trying to let her know, it would be easier to judge you, but I want to show you a better way to get to life. I want to show you a better way to get to freedom. Judgment doesn't get you to freedom, love does. So he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That is important, and I promise I'm wrapping up with this. That word condemn is said about Jesus in John chapter 3, verse 17. Y'all know John 3, 16, right? Y'all know it? Somebody say it. Just start it. For God so love. I don't know what y'all saying, but it sounds like y'all know the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave, he sent his own. Come on. I don't know if these babies know the Bible. Just hang on one second. For God so loved the world. Cool. Got it. Thank you. You can go ahead, Pastor Hayden. I, I, was, I was worried. I was worried. I was like, I'm going to start a new series next week. Fundamentals. <laughs> John 3.16. But if you go back, you need to read, you need to read verse 17. 
It says this. I'll read it to you. John chapter 3, verse 17. If I can pull it up real quick. I don't know where that. There it is. For God did not send his son to condemn. Somebody say condemn. Condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Choosing not to judge is not lowering the standard. Jesus is wanting to show us a better way to reach people. Because the last thing I want to say to you before I pray is that it's hard to throw stones when you're busy washing feet. It's one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard. It's hard to throw stones at people when you're busy serving them. It's hard to throw stones at people when you're busy loving them. It's hard to throw stones at them when you're up close and personal, even though you see all the imperfections. It's hard to throw stones when you're busy loving people. I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask everybody to stand if you don't mind. But the Bible says, John 16, 11, the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged and condemned. And he would love for you to feel the same thing. So some of you may need prayer because you, you have felt the pain of judgment and there are others who have mi who've missed out on growing because you've been judgmental. And I want to pray for you. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and pray right now. Father, help us to not feel less than we should because of judgment. That you restore us to a sense of worth when, you when we feel like our value has been stripped from us. Lord, give us ears to hear those that you sent to help us and not confuse those you sent us sent to help us with those who have been that have hurt us Father help us to receive people the way that you've granted them to us people are a gift especially saints especially God's holy people especially the young people in this room let them see themselves as gifts that are inserted in other people's lives with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, you, you might be hearing, you say, Pastor Will, I struggle with judgment. I, I can't even receive judgment, but more importantly than anything else, I need a relationship with Jesus. I need to give my life to Jesus. If you're in this room and you say, Pastor Will, I want to make that decision, I want you to slide your hand up. If there's anybody in this room, you want to give, I see a hand over here, anybody else? Any, two, a hand right here, anybody else? See that hand, anybody else? Awesome. You can put your hands down. But we're, this is what we do at Youth First. I know it's been a minute, but we pray together because when you get saved, you don't just get a father, you get a family. And this is so much more than saying a prayer out loud. This is a confession of faith. So I want us to pray this prayer together. Say this. Say, Jesus, I trust you. I make you Lord of my life. I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again for me. Now, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, I want everything you have for me. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God some praise for the people that gave their life to Jesus tonight.